Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. But before we bring David on, I want to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine in which the cover feature story is Tracy Bentley, the president of the Permian Basin Strategic Partnership, an amazing organization of some of the largest operators in the Permian Basin that have come together to create a mission that is Unlike any other trade association, you really need to read up on what they're doing out there in that area. For more information and to catch up with David and read his story, visit shale, dot com. Let me tell you also about the fastest growing networking group. Right now, as we're coming out of the coronavirus, everyone is looking for a party, an event, a networking event that you can grow your business you should join Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They do a lot of mixers and events, and they're going to start virtual mixers very soon. For more information and to join, go to txenergyadvocates.org. Again, that's txenergyadvocates.org. And lastly, I'd like to tell you about our state of energy that was rescheduled due to the coronavirus. It is now set for its new date of September 22nd. In beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas, it is a luncheon with a networking mixer that evening. For more information or to go buy tickets, please visit shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com, and you'll see the link to purchase your tickets. We're still looking for sponsorships, but one thing is for sure, folks, this will be a sold-out event, so you definitely want to get your tickets now. And we'll see you there. And now it's time to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome back to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It sure is. We have a lot of things to talk about, and there's a lot of moving parts once again. But it sure is exciting to see that Texas is starting to open up. And, of course, you know, we won't probably do our full shows anymore. You're still, we're lucky we're still keeping you on the show. But tell me a little bit about, before we get into the the, the really topics that we need to get into is there anything you're seeing with texas opening up in the area of oil and gas that you can quickly you know put your your finger on as far as immediate changes we're seeing well you know the oil and gas sector is going to kind of lag you know we we were never subject to a shutdown per se in the oil and gas business although people have been working from home and, uh, you know, companies, it's going to be a company-by-company company decision when to start bringing those employees back into the office to work mm-hmm. and under what conditions they'll be working. I, I think one of the – my viewpoint is that, that one of the, I think, positive outcomes, if you can say anything's positive about this, is I really anticipate these companies with many, many employees are going to have realized over the last six weeks that – you know, they have a lot of employees who can be just as productive working from home as they can be coming into an office. And I think when you think about that, and I think probably what we're going to see is millions of employees across the country from this point forward are, are going to remain working at home. 
and that's going to have a lot of positive impacts for for our society it'll it'll reduce the amount of traffic on the roads it'll reduce emissions from automobiles um it it will for the companies it will enable companies to move into smaller office space and save money on office rents bad part of that is of course that uh, you know the real estate market for for office real estate was already struggling in big cities and I suspect that you're going to see a negative impact on commercial real estate business in these big cities as a result of that. But by and large, I think the uh, you know the move to to have more workers working from home is is a net positive for for the country as a whole. You know, it just really does have a lot of efficiencies and benefits to it. And I think that honestly, people are going to be far more happier to work from home. Of course. You know, you have to set up an office and you have to continue to take the kids to daycare so you can have quiet time to get your work done. All those things matter. But I think as a whole, not having to get up and, you know, spend an hour getting ready to get out the door to go to work, to look presentable in a professional attire when you can work from home. And there's so many great technologies available now. I think it's just going to make a more enjoyable workforce, if you will, that's far more independent as well as helping these companies become more efficient with how they get their work done. Of course, you know, Shell Magazine has always operated in that capacity, so it's nothing new to us. And I just look at it and I'm I'm like, all of our, you know, staff employees love it, I I think. We don't hear any complaints because they don't have to come to the (laughs) office but once a week. (laughs) So (laughs) set up for me, we're going to transition into the Texas Railroad Commission. We've had the past four shows on this topic because there's been a lot going on but before you know we get you know we really get set up in in what's going on currently can you can you take us through what was the whole situation with the texas railroad commission leading up to a decision that they made last week sure yeah uh back in uh, march it was late march when partially energy and pioneer natural resources seeing the situation we were moving into because of the coronavirus uh, requested, made a formal request to the Railroad Commission that they consider uh, using their authority called prorationing, uh, which allows them to limit oil production in the state uh, in this emergency situation because the, the market, of course, has been massively oversupplied. It was already substantially oversupplied before coronavirus hit. And this, of course, all the shutdown has killed global demand and and We've, gosh, in April, uh, and Veris tells me that in April the market was oversupplied by about 15 million barrels of oil per day. So, partially, and in, in Pioneer Natural Resources believe that uh, this was a time for the Railroad Commission to intervene and take action to reduce production in Texas and encourage regulators in other states to do the same thing, you know, to help alleviate that massive glut on the market. Um, the Railroad Commission first considered the question at its April 14th hearing, uh, did not take action at that hearing. At their next hearing on the 21st, they took it up again, did not take action, and then they met this past week um, on the 5th of May and formally voted to forego taking that action. And by the time they took that vote, frankly, it was, you know, the market conditions had already passed them by anyway. Commissioner Ryan Sitton, so there's three commissioners. Commissioner Ryan Sitton uh, brought the motion forward. And Commissioner Craddock and Chairman uh, Wayne Christian, uh, Commissioner Wayne Christian, opposed it. 
But my question is, is there is there a lesson learned for the future? Is there a role that you think that um, the Texas Railroad Commission could play should things fall out again or, or should we be facing something like this once again? And, yes. and are they studying the topic to where the next time while this came out of, you know, this quick, you know, uh, whiplash type of thing? I think that there's an opportunity for them to look and see, does this really apply? Should we ever get into a situation? Because this, they hadn't done anything in 100 years, right? And so here we go with well, trying to no, figure out what have... to do, how to do it. What does that look like? There was no one yeah. there at the regulatory agency that had any experience in, in doing this. Right. It, it hadn't been 100 years. Uh, the last time they had done it was in 1972. Uh, oh, but it okay. would have been a very long time. It had been almost half a century. Yeah. Um, Yes, I do think there is a role. I don't think the commissioners believe there's a role. I, I, I wish they would take a long-term view, conduct, conduct a study about it, because what's going to happen here is that once demand is restored, and the projections now from Inveris and other companies is that global demand is going to rise back close to where it was by the end of this year, and and the shale industry will start drilling wells again. And these companies will still be having a hard time finding capital to, to fund fund their drilling efforts because all the investors are going to fear they're just going to ultimately oversupply the market again uh, in, a, in just a couple of years. Why is that? Because the whole market rebalancing depends on the OPEC plus deal in which all those other countries are agreeing, combining to take almost 10 million barrels a day off of the market of their own production. And as we saw in March, that deal is not going to hold together forever. And so these companies, these shell companies, are going to be restarting their drilling program based on a business model that relies on that OPEC plus deal holding together. And they have shown that they don't have the patience to continue to do this. That's right. So my view is the Railroad Commission but I don't think any of the commissioners believe this. The Railroad Commission ought to be thinking long-term about prorationing and limiting what can be produced in the state of Texas and working with their colleagues in North Dakota and Oklahoma and New Mexico and Wyoming to do the same thing so that this oil and gas industry here, which cannot, under antitrust laws, get together to control themselves, the regulators need to act to control them and control what they can produce overall in this country in order to prevent a massive crash happening again in three years when, when the OPEC plus deal falls apart. Yep. And Harold Ham. No one on the commission is taking a long-term view. I think that Harold Ham has also brought this forward, too, a couple of years back at a luncheon that he uh, spoke at for TIPRO. David, when we come back from break, there were a couple of energy companies that announced that they could be profitable at $30 per barrel. So I want to get into that. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi, folks. Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. 
Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our free business snapshot that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now. 210-240-7188 or go to shalemag.com slash business snapshot. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now. 210-240-7188 or go to shalemag.com slash business snapshot. We're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, and today we have David Blackman joining us, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, we were talking about, on the previous segment, uh, the Texas Railroad Commission and their vote to not get involved in pro-rationing oil, if you will, here in Texas. Both Parsley Energy and Diamondback Energy said this week that they can be profitable drilling in the Permian Basin, their, those wells, at $30 a barrel. That's a really amazing thing there, you know, to be able to be profitable. How much profit do you think? And are there any other companies out there that are able to to make a profit too at 30? Yeah, that's a a very low uh, price threshold. Um, You know, and I I don't know exactly what the debt load of those companies is. Uh, Mm -hmm. If they have a very low debt load, it's conceivable that you could you know, drill these in, in both these companies have leasehold acreage in the very sweet spots of the Permian Basin. Oh. And so they, the wells they drill are very highly productive. And I assume that's what they're talking about. They can target their most productive drilling locations and drill wells. It could be profitable at $30 a barrel. I Across the basin, you know, you have the acreage varies in potential producing potential, um, and so no, I don't think it's widespread that that a whole lot of these producers can be profitable at that price level. But uh, both Diamondback and Parsley say they can, and and so. But they also you know, well, announced too that they were going to even cut back on on drilling in the same area too, right? Yes, in fact, they already have. Both both companies have already canceled their drilling program temporarily, you know, because prices are, have stayed below that, that threshold. But uh, Travis Stice, who I know personally and uh, who's the CEO of Diamondback, uh, you know, told his investors that uh, once you get the price back up around $30, you know, they're going to reconsider that decision. So, you know, he's an honest guy, and, and I, I believe him. Yeah. What about West Texas Intermediate, better known as WTI? It's now trading at about $26. Um, do you see, when is it going to get up to 30 When does Diamondback and Parsley get back to <laughs> drilling in the Permian Basin? Well, you know, it's, it's, 
it's a good question. I we see that $26 price. That's the, the Dimex uh, June contract price. When you look out at the Ford months, uh, out through the end of the year, they do, you know, uh, on those futures contracts, they all is trading higher than $30 during those out months. Um, but how permanent that is, I would assume, and, and of course he, he didn't say during the investor call, I would assume that the management teams at those companies would take a look and, you know, they're not going to say if, if the price goes above $30 for a day or two, they're not going to automatically reactivate those rigs. It's going to have to get up there and stay there for, for a period of weeks, and, and the outlook's going to have to be pretty positive before they're going to be really to, ready to, to start reinvesting in drilling. So, but I do think, I mean, I believe that the price by the end of the year is probably going to be up around $50 a barrel. I know uh, many of the analysts are being more conservative than that, but when you look at the the way we're headed directionally in terms of how rapidly we're reducing supply here in the U.S. and the OPEC plus deal Mm -hmm. and how rapidly we believe, these firms believe that, um, demand is going to return as, as countries restart their economies. Uh, I just think we're going to have uh, actually a a shortage of crude production in the fourth quarter of this year. So, you know, And I think you wrote uh, on that. In, optimistic. I think you wrote on that uh, on the shale daily that you post every, yeah. every day on yeah. uh, the shale Facebook page and, of course, on the website. And if any of our listeners want to follow your expert advice and just to get your daily dose of what's going on around the world in energy, I highly encourage them to like our Facebook page, shellmag.com, and they can follow you. Meanwhile, David, in Houston, Halliburton just announced that they are laying off 1,000 employees at their headquarters. Now, let's back up just a little bit and, and, and put this. They've been laying off and furloughing. They announced, I think, last week that they were closing the city of San Antonio's uh, entire facility. That they it's it's less than yeah. eight years old, and I would imagine a lot had to do with, of course, the price of uh, crude. But also, San Antonio seems to lack, in some ways, a real appreciation for what the energy service companies here in, in this area are doing. And when you just do not have the revenue to be able to keep all these people employed and be able to uh, generate a profit. These service companies, they really don't have any options except to lay off. And I think there was an issue between Halliburton here in San Antonio facility and the leadership here in San Antonio. But then there also is Weatherford and BJ right around the corner. And they too are in the same process as Halliburton with the city's demands for them to keep a certain amount of people employed at a certain rate. And it's so funny because no other company could do that or would do that. You know, if you're not making a profit, you're not keeping people employed and you're not keeping uh, everybody on the books the way, you know, the city of San Antonio expects these service companies to do that. Talk to me about Halliburton and do you see that Weatherford and, uh, and BJ, and then of course all the service little service companies that have moved in around Halliburton in the San Antonio area. Do we start seeing them fall like dominoes? Like they're just going to slowly start going, you know, out and shutting down their facilities? Because to be honest with you, David, yeah. they moved in because of Halliburton and because of Weatherford, and and they build buildings. And now that they're leaving, 
and they're moving further into Eagle Ford. The city of San Antonio lost a huge amount of revenue, and I wonder if Houston, at least they, uh, I think, do appreciate the service company being there. When we get back from break, I want you to give me the differences of what you feel is happening in San Antonio with the service companies, and then, of course, the announcement in Houston at the Halliburton headquarters out there. Stay tuned. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest-growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash TEAK and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Remember this name, oil field experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oilfield Experts specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, Call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show our guest today is david blackman the editor of shell magazine david before the break i was asking you your opinion on what's going on in san antonio at the halliburton facility and the weatherford and bj facility what's your opinion on what's happening there and then also the announcement that halliburton uh, released that they are going to be laying off a thousand employees at their headquarters in houston texas yeah, well, you know, it is unfortunate, as you, you talked about last segment, uh, that city of San Antonio voters have installed a city council and mayor who seem to believe they're governing Seattle rather than a city in Texas. And, you know, putting these kinds of requirements on companies, well, you know, obviously when it comes time to shut facilities down, uh, some of these companies are going to look at, at cities where their costs are much higher. And, and regulatory restrictions are much higher, and, and those are going to be the first to go. And unfortunately, you're right, it will, the closure of the Halliburton facility and, and the other BJ services, the other big uh, oil field service companies, is going to lead to probably closures of, uh, of a lot of those smaller companies that sprung up around them. And, you know, where Halliburton's concerned, they did at first attempt to weather this storm with furloughs, you know, where people were retaining all of their benefits, but only working every other week, two weeks a month. Um, that unfortunately, it's it's gone on so long that they're unable to do that. So they have begun laying off and shutting facilities. When you look at Halliburton and, and the oil field, they were heavily involved, of course, in hydraulic fracturing operations. The national number the frack crews still operating today is around 75, where before the coronavirus hit, we had over 400 crews. Yeah. And so, so you from see this 400 massive. 400 to 75, yeah. Yeah. 
And so you've had this massive loss of activity, mm-hmm. and and it's very unfortunate. But the companies have to make a profit. These are companies that are in business to make a profit, not to cater to the whims of city councilmen and mayors. And uh, so, you know, this is what's happening. The city of Houston, fortunately, has not moved in the same direction that the city of San Antonio has. It has a better appreciation for the oil and gas industry. Uh, doesn't put those kinds of requirements and restrictions on companies that uh, want to provide jobs and you know a, a lot of income and pay a lot of taxes mm-hmm. within their community. So it's just it's very unfortunate the direction the city government has taken there. Very unfortunate, especially when you consider that not only Halliburton and Weatherford and BJ and all the service companies on the south side of San Antonio that are out there are dealing with uh, such devastation. Then we also have announcements from Bolero and Newstar that they too are experiencing losses. I mean, this is yeah. this is all over the, the, the oil chain. It isn't just uh, upstream, if you will. A new report from LOGA finds that 25% of the state's entire oil and gas workforce has already been laid off and 50% of producers surveyed said that they are considering bankruptcy. Yikes, what the heck is going on? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Louisiana's getting hit as hard as uh, as, as Texas is. Loga is, of course, uh, one of the greatest trade associations in the industry based there in Louisiana. I love those guys. And they, they did release a survey on Thursday of this week, uh, yeah, uh, detailing those things. 50%, think of it, 50% of the producers in the state of Louisiana are on the verge of filing bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. 25% of all the oil and gas employees in that state have already been laid off. That's probably not exceptional, really, around the country. I, I suspect uh, you would find similar responses to a survey taken in North Dakota or Wyoming or New Mexico um, of the industry. And, and and this is just what's happening in the oil patch right now. So it's extremely unfortunate. You know, I've... Uh, the hits just keep coming. Been, yeah, you know, I've been in this industry for 40 years and um, know so many of these people. And it's just really, very, you know, it's very tough to watch so many people getting put put out of jobs and yep. and having their careers disrupted this way. It's just terrible. Exactly. When we get back from break, I want to talk about some uh, statistics that have come out for Global Demand. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. I'm Tracy Bentley, the CEO President of the Permian Strategic Partnership, an alliance of 19 energy companies located in West Texas and Southeast New Mexico. For the first time in history, our companies have come together with one goal in mind, supporting our community. In 2019, our first full year of existence, we committed more than $30 million to support six major initiatives, built partnerships with dozens of community stakeholders, and helped secure an additional $1 billion in state and federal funding for roadway improvements in the Permian Basin. By partnering with local leaders, we will continue to work hard to make roads safer, improve schools, upgrade health care, increase affordable housing, and train the next generation of workers. Because we don't just work here, we live here. And neighbors are supposed to help each other out. For more information, go to permianpartnership.org. Permianpartnership.org. We're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. 
David, set us up on also, there was a report from the Marcellus organization out there, one of their organizations, that Andrew Cuomo, that their state would have fared a lot better if they had not outlawed hydraulic fracturing. What's sure. going on over there in their area, and what are they facing? Well, you know, the, the, here's a uh, really this is a really significant thing. The, the, the state government of New York State is essentially bankrupt. Yes, okay? they want a bailout, and, which is why which is why New York and, and other states like California, and New Jersey, are begging the federal government for a bailout right now uh, because their their governments are basically bankrupt, and, and they're without a government bailout, they may actually have to go through bankruptcy which state governments have never done, but uh, it could come to that. And part of the reason why New York is in such dire straits is because Governor Cuomo himself, in 2012, I believe it was, made it illegal to conduct hydraulic fracturing operations in New York State, where the Marcellus Shell, a, a gigantic swath of the Marcellus Shell formation, runs underneath New York State. It would have provided billions of dollars in state revenues uh, over the last decade had he not done that. And, and the state would be in a much better financial position because thanks to the oil and gas industry. But, you know, this is what ideologues do. It's just like the city of San Antonio's government. You have a bunch of ideologues uh, who make these decisions without thinking through all of the unintended consequences that are going to come later on. And so that's the position Andrew Cuomo finds himself in today which could have been largely greatly alleviated by a vibrant oil and gas industry in the state. And so. not to mention, the citizens are paying a lot more in their utilities and just taxes because they're refusing oh. to allow hydraulic fracturing in their area. Let's uh, switch gears and talk about Intervis. They released a new study projecting that natural gas prices will climb to about $4 by winter, or the average will be 288 during 2021. So what are the factors behind this? And what will we be seeing as consumers? Will we be seeing higher utility costs? What will we be seeing when, when the price yeah. goes up? I mean, the price going up is good, but it also has that unintended consequence too, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And, and so, you know, right now, natural gas selling around $2 per MMBTU. And uh, uh, if Veris is expecting it to double, you know, temporarily over the winter for just a few months. And then, but it's they, they say they think it'll average, you know, close to $3 in MMBTU uh, for 2021. And, yes, in Texas, that could lead to higher utility prices, um, although I'm not convinced my electric provider has passed along all the lower gas price costs in my bill. But, um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, Texas, over half of our power generation is, is provided by natural gas power plants. So, when natural gas prices go higher, uh, our utility bills tend to, a few months later, go higher as well. Hopefully, I mean, this kind of a price increase for, for natural gas would not create a big spike in, in utility prices, but it could could go somewhat higher. Interesting. Well, also continuing on with Intervest and some of their projections as well as Ronstadt Energy predicts that global demand for oil will rebound around 98 million barrels per day um, by the end of this year. Does that seem like we are reopening the economy fast enough for that to happen? And and, and honestly, does this seem realistic to you? Because you're always making projections. You said like 50 earlier in the show. So do you see it being this is an accurate assessment? 
You know, I, I think so. Certainly in Texas, we're opening up quickly enough um, and very carefully. Governor Abbott is being very careful about, you know, the pace of this. But I think when you look, there are states who are going much slower, but there are also states going much quicker than Texas is. So I think we're, we're striking a kind of a good balance here in Texas and around the country in getting this economy going again. And uh, globally, uh, you know, a little told story in all this is, is the countries south of the equator have not been nearly as hard hit by this virus as those in the northern hemisphere. And China has already largely reopened its economy. Uh, several European countries, Germany being one of them, are rapidly reopening their own economies. And so, you know, Embarrass takes all that into account when they're, they're doing these projections. And, yeah, they, they think it's, it's going quickly enough. I, I hope it is. Um, you know, we'll, just, we'll, we'll know a lot more in a month than we do today. But um, just based on the fact that both Reistad and Embarrass are saying this makes me pretty optimistic about it. So even if it's at $50 a barrel, like you're kind of thinking by the end of the year, and we know that there's some of the operators have announced in the Permian Basin area they can make a profit at 30 what happens at 50 I mean, how robust do we see shale coming back, uh, in your opinion, yeah. if it's 50 Well, it, of course. <laughs> so, so it, Get your crystal it, ball. It's an interesting <laughs> question uh, because you have to also think about Who's going to be left to drill those wells? If you, if you have yeah. half of your companies go, declaring bankruptcy over the next few months, and some of those companies are going to probably not just declare Chapter 11, some of those companies are probably going to have to go all the way to Chapter 7 and, and be liquidated, mm-hmm. uh, then who's going to be around to drill those wells? And, and are the companies that do survive, are they going to be able to obtain the capital they need from lenders or investors in order to fund the drilling of all these new wells and keep their production levels going. And I think that's an open question right now, you know, because if, if it's, you just have to think through what all's involved in that chain. The banks uh, were already shying away from lending more money to oil and gas drillers uh, before all of this hit. And even private equity investors were also beginning to, rethink their investments in the oil and gas upstream sector. And so after all of this, when the sector's been decimated this way and the economic situation is, I think, is going to be still pretty bad uh, at, during the fourth quarter of this year, it's, it's an open question to me whether or not these companies, particularly independents, are going to be able to obtain yeah. the capital they need to restart their drilling program. So it's a waiting game. When we get back from break, David, I want to get on the topic of some climate change information as well. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. 
Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, I want to get on the topic of uh, the environment and the climate change folks. But before we do, I want to go back. Um, I don't know if we necessarily completed the whole entire conversation on the increased price that's coming for natural gas. And that we clarified, why is it going to go up? What's causing that? Right, yeah, no, I forgot to, to talk about that part, which is kind of important. Um, so one of the ironic things about the Permian Basin is that even though every drilling rig that's been drilling out there for the last five years has been drilling what what is classified as an oil well, all those wells produce a lot of natural gas along with the oil. And the Permian Basin's turned into the second largest gas-producing basin in the country. So what's happening when we lay down all of these drilling rigs and the drill, the rig counts down by almost 70% now, year over year, um, is that we're not only reducing oil production, we're reducing natural gas production, a vast amount of natural gas production here in the United States and really all over the world. And, and, and so what's, what's happening is and what's going to happen by the wintertime is we use a lot more gas in the winter because so many millions of Americans heat our homes with natural gas. Um, and so the usage goes way, way up, but at the same time, our supply of natural gas for the first time in many years is going to be declining over the winter. And, and that's liable to create a significant shortage of natural gas come January or so is what Embarrass is thinking. So that's why the price would go up during that period of time. But then once you get past winter and it starts warming up again, naturally supply becomes more plentiful because demand goes lower and the price will go back down. And that's why that $4 price is only, you know, really projected to last for two, maybe three months tops. So that's what's going on well, let's switch gears and talk about the environmental extremist. Um, this is definitely a unique time. Uh, there was a piece in Shell Magazine that everyone should read, and it's for the first time in history the healthier being quarantined along with the sick. And, you know, f- literally shut down the entire world. And there was an article that came out uh, in, in, in Shell Magazine. This op-ed is in there, and it's discussing some of these environmentalists are saying if we could shut down and stop the virus, that also means that we could probably shut down and stop climate change. And, sure. you know, we did see a drop in, in a lot of different areas, but I, 
I can see where they're going with this, and I can see how some people will jump on the bandwagon for this, of like, you know, we have fresher air and this and that, but that's not really logical. Like, this is... Well, I mean, yeah, what value is it to have fresher air if you're living in a bubble, 18th century squalor? Because that's what they're talking about. I mean, we can't keep this economy shut down for more than a few months before the bread lines start and the soup kitchens have to start up to feed people. The federal government has been able to mask a lot of the major impacts from putting everyone out of work with these stimulus bills. But but these climate people seem to think, well, Congress can just keep pumping $6 trillion into the economy mm. every few months and we'll all be fat and happy. No, that's that can only go through one cycle of that stuff before the federal government teeters on the edge of bankruptcy, okay? We have to pay these bills at some point, folks. You know, we just can't all live in our in our bins for the rest of our lives or like Joe Biden in our basements for the rest of our lives. Well uh, America has to work and and so but you're right, I mean these environmental extremists, this is nirvana for them. This is exactly what their Green New Deal would produce for our society. Well, you know, I mean, let's just look back. And uh, while we were having, of course, our president speak to us every day and his team and the task force, a lot of it we were listening to was they're kind of just listening to what they believe best practices are and making it up as you go along the way. Not right. not in a negative way, but just we've never been here before. Well, isn't it the same thing with energy in reference to like we can't just like you're saying go into our houses and stay in there. Energy is the life support for us all. And while you know there's this great debate going on, you know, do we take it offline? If so, when? You know, do we slowly take it off? Is there another energy source out there we can develop? I just think there's a great deal of uncertainty when we're looking at other people dictating to us what we should be doing when you don't really know that and I'm not okay with shutting down my business and staying inside and uh, doing away with hydraulic factoring because you have these unintended consequences again that puts us more at a risk like we were for getting into wars in the Middle East we're less secure as a nation and as a country there's national security issues here at hand too when we start tinkering with let's just walk away from keep it in the ground not to mention look what's happening in new york they're paying a higher price because they refuse to to allow hydraulic fracturing in their backyard so what does the energy industry need to do to start combating the new narrative that's coming out on with these environmentalists <laughs> well, you, know, <laughs> what you and i have been talking about for years now uh, the industry needs to communicate more and communicate better and more effectively. Um, all the things that uh, executives in the oil, many executives, not all of them, in the oil and gas industry fight against doing every day. Um, and it, it's sad. Uh, the, the, the industry has, you know, basically allowed its opponents to dominate the playing field when it comes to messaging and education. Uh, for all these years and, you know, refuses to invest in doing it the right way and in an effective way. And, and so, you know, it, it, we just continue to lose ground. The, the, by the way, the article you're talking about that was cited in our Shell Mag uh, piece 
was printed in Teen Vogue magazine. Now think about this. This is brainwashing teenagers. Oh yes. With, with they start a, with early. A piece that is completely absent, void of any factual basis whatsoever, or real world observations at all. But that's that's where these people are going. They 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 just they start brainwashing their kids with this stuff when they're in nursery school. And now they're getting and, upset and, that we got to get the kids back to school so they can continue on their brainwashing because they haven't had access to them for a while. <laughs> <laughs> they got to go back. Scared to death that parents are figuring out what in the world they've been teaching their kids by by having to homeschool them now. So yeah, a lot of. Uh, education people are getting a little nervous about all this <laughs> yeah i mean they don't have access to the brainwashing of the children anymore we got to get them back into the schools and uh, back into their classrooms david i want to thank you for joining us this hopefully obviously you will continue to be a, with a part of the show uh, our first segment of the show however i do think that moving forward we probably will be going back to our normal programming since we're out corona lockdown corona panic Corona, corona panic, corona, corona lockdown, lockdown <laughs> and it's time to resume our regular guest and get some people on, uh, get some guests on the show that actually can uh, break things down for us. Thank you for joining us this week, and I look forward to having you back next week. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.